Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. The message for this morning is called, With God's Help. When following God, we give Him our passion to serve Him. We give Him our devotion, and it's of utmost importance that if we are passionate about God, that we serve Him and put Him first. You see, when you put God first, and people see that passion you have for the Lord, they want to support what God is doing in your life. And so we see here today that we can do anything that God calls us to do with God's help. I will tell you that if you feel like God is calling you to do something and it's not much of a stretch, I would say that's you may want to check on that because every time I see God call people to do things in the Bible, it is a huge stretch. It is, hey, go and leave all your people and, and move and go and no no details or, hey, Even though you're just small and tiny, I want you to take on this giant on behalf of my entire chosen people. All of these things, if you go time after time through the Bible, you see small people doing huge things for God. And that's because they do it with God's help. So as we jump back into the book of Nehemiah in verse 11, it says, Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. So we're going to talk about this here in a second. But basically, Nehemiah was given in the first chapter a burden for the people in Judah and the people of Jerusalem because the walls had fallen and they were at the mercy of all of these governors and all of these Persian provinces that could attack them at any time and they were defenseless. And so he really had a burden for his people. My question to you and my question to me is, do you really have a burden for your people? And when I say your people, I don't mean just your bloodline. I don't mean just your skin color. I don't mean just your Facebook feed. Do you really have a vision for God's people, which in this case is anybody? Do you have a vision for people that are hurting? And I hope you do, because we see here what happens in Nehemiah's life. You see, it says in verse 11, or the, the, the last half of verse 11, it tells us that uh, he is really just praying for the Lord to move in his boss's heart. <laughs> because, as we learned earlier in the passage, he is what they call a cup-bearer. And quite literally, the cupbearer was somebody that anything the the king would be served to drink or eat, the cupbearer would try it first. And so it would almost be like he drinks it or eats it, and they wait about five minutes to see if he kills over. I mean, that's he was the first line of defense, or actually the last line of defense for the king. And so with that, it wasn't just he wasn't just a test test uh, subject to test the food that was coming in, but also he was a confidant. He had the king's ear, and the king 
trusted him with his life. So there was a lot of power and prominence in the position that Nehemiah had. So for the fact of Nehemiah asking for the king to help people that aren't even attributed with those in Babylon, that actually are the enemy, and we see that he's he's begging for God to intervene. That is something only God can do. Are you ever asking God to do something only He can do? And are you asking Him to do it through whatever means is necessary? And sometimes God will work through ways you didn't even see coming. Well, Nehemiah was praying for this. And we see here that choosing to follow your passion does not always Makes sense. Choosing to follow your passion does not always make sense. You see, Nehemiah had done well for himself, being appointed as the king's cupbearer. The Persian king, again, as I said a moment ago, trusted Nehemiah. And Nehemiah placed his passion for serving God and his people, check this out, over his position in power. It would have been very easy for Nehemiah to hear the news that his people were suffering and say, Oh, that sounds terrible. I'll pray about that. And pray about it and never do anything. But no, it moved him. It moved him. He wanted to do something about this. It's much like after 9-11, our armed services and those that are in that were first responders, they saw a huge influx of people sign up to fight the wars and to be first responders because they saw what sacrifice and what happened when America got too big for their their ego. And so we see here that, that Nehemiah wants to do something. God is calling him to do something. And so from a worldly standpoint, Nehemiah did not need this distraction. He was on the fast track. He was living the life. He was the king's assistant. He was the chief of staff. He had all these people around him. And so it made no sense for him to jeopardize any of that. But you see, here's the thing. If God's calling you to do something, he's calling you out of your comfort zone. He's calling you not to hold on to your position, hold on to your power. And as we see in this story, (laughs) Nehemiah didn't lose a bit of power or a bit of position. He actually was elevated even more. But we'll talk about that later. So you and I, we can use our present positions, whether you are in an office, whether you work at home, whether you are retired, whether you are in a sky rise, or whether you are a trash vendor. You can use your opportunities and your present situations to influence and leadership and lead other people. Have you ever thought about maybe you just weren't taking that job? Have you ever thought that maybe God placed you in it? Have you ever thought that maybe the store that you go to or the salon that you get your hair fixed at or all of these other places that you use and you go to all the time and you, you see the same waiter or the same waitress or you, you have the same person working on your car. Or you, you have all of these places you go to. Have you ever thought about the fact that it wasn't just your preference to go there, but God has placed you there for a purpose? Well, preacher, I don't think about that. That is the problem. You and I can use our present positions, influences, and leadership to serve God And you can make a difference today. So let's jump into chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And we see that Nehemiah didn't let fear silence his passion. 
Nehemiah did not let fear silence his passion. He says, early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, which is basically around April and May of 445 years, 445 years before Christ, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You look so sick to me, you must be deeply troubled. I tell you what, there, there, are, there are times where, you know, somebody that's normally happy and all of a sudden you can tell something's not right with them. You can tell a family member is worried about it. Don and I play the game all the time. What's wrong? Nothing. Tell me what's wrong. Nothing, really. Okay, I know something's wrong and then finally, I'll tell you what's wrong. You keep asking me what's wrong. But then eventually you just say, okay, this, this is the issue. And there, there are times where even some of y'all, you say, preacher, what's wrong? Nothing. I see it on your face. <laughs> I didn't put it on here. But, but sometimes that, that's, that's very, I have people that care for me and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Sometimes it's a legitimate concern and sometimes it's just maybe I got a bad face day. I don't know. Maybe I'm having a bad face day today. But for, for the cupbearer to come in, he's, he's, he's got something on his brain. He's got something on his heart and his boss sees that. And he says, what's wrong with you? Why? <laughs> you must be deeply troubled because you don't look sick. Then it says, Nehemiah says, then I was terrified. So check this out. Nehemiah had just prayed for God to use a king to help him with this passion that God has instilled in him. And then now we see four months later, the door is opened. This was not initiated by Nehemiah. This conversation that's about to take place was initiated by the king. He says, then I was terrified, but I replied, I long live the king. How can I not be sad for the cities where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So he's saying, king, it's not you. I I love serving you and I am not upset for you or anything related with you because you are great, but I'm really hurting for my people at home. You see, here's, here's the problem, or I guess it's actually the good thing about this passion that Nehemiah has. It won't go away. You know, there are times we may pass somebody on the street or we may see something or something to come to a brain where you, you really feel bad about that for about a minute or two and then you, you move on with your day. But this is something that God would not take off of his heart. The month of Nisan means that Nehemiah had been carrying this burden for four months. But here's the thing, and this could, you could see it as a bad thing, or maybe it's a good thing, but Nehemiah did not want to act until he got direction from God. Folks, this can be frustrating, especially for those that think that you need to, you think it, you do it, let's go. And then there's others that will just sit back and say, well, I don't know, let's think about this, let's think about that, and let's, let's, 
let's pool our resources and figure out what it is. But bottom line, at the end of the day, whether you are that go get it person or the sit around and think about it person, at some point, the best time to move is when God directs it. Because, my friends, you have done this and I have done this. We have forced doors open that we should not have forced and reaped the consequences of it. Yes, it took four months, but God was moving in the heart of King Artaxerxes. He was giving King Artaxerxes a love for, a compassion, and respect for his cup bearer. Many times we have a passion for something until something newer or shinier comes along. But I have spoken with many people through the years that said, you know what? God spoke to me on whatever it may be. And then they say, but you know what? I didn't do anything with it. How sad that must be to have God speak to your heart to do his work and to do his will only to refuse that invitation and to miss out on what God had for you. If you are wrestling with and telling God you're not going to do what he's calling you to do, I actually feel bad for you. Because you are missing out on what Nehemiah, as we go through this book, experiences when we are willing to take a risk and we are willing to do what God has called us to do. We see in this passage that relationships are bridges that God uses to carry out His plan. You realize that every person you come come into contact with is a bridge. There, There were not a lot of preacher boys that could have reached King Artaxerxes. But God already planted in place Nehemiah to do that. You have bridges with people in your life, and it's very important. Look, if you start arguing about Jesus or arguing about politics or arguing about uh, science or arguing about all these things that you want to argue about, understand that you are burning a bridge that God may have intended you to use to share Jesus with. Or to model Jesus too. They used to teach us when we go out and witnessing and we go out and we, and we share Jesus with people. They always tell us, and it's the truth. Look, if you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they start arguing with you, just stop. Because you don't want to burn that bridge to where somebody starts talking again to somebody. They want nothing to do with it. Most of the people that I talk to, I am talking to them, and if they come to know Jesus, it's because somebody else had already initiated that bridge. So let me ask you something. Do you view your relationships as bridges for the gospel? That's what's happening in Nehemiah's life. King Artaxerxes was under God's influence, even though he was not a believer. I said that last week, and I'll say this again next week. God can use Joe Biden. God can use um, Mitch McConnell. God can use Nancy Pelosi, whether they know it or not. God can use our mayor. God can use our county council, our city council. He can use anybody he wants because people don't have to be saved for him to use. He has access to everybody. It says in Proverbs 21, verse 1, that the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord and he guides it wherever he pleases. And sometimes God uses the leaders that are above us, either whether they acknowledge him or not, he uses them to either bless us or exact judgment on us. 
Nehemiah admitted his fear, but he still spoke up. I just want to put us in the room at that moment. If you go back and you look at verse 3, he says, Then I was terrified. I am sure at this moment when King Artaxerxes said, Nehemiah, man, I know you're not sick, but I can see on your face something is troubling you. What's the problem? And it says that he was terrified. I'm sure he's like, it probably took a matter of a second or two, but in his mind it was probably about five minutes of discussing, what do I do now? If I tell him what's true and what's on my heart, he could kill me. Because if you were if you were down in the dumps around the king, the king could literally just say, look, you're bringing me down, kill this guy. He could literally say, look, throw this guy in the jail. I don't need uh, negative Nancy here. Let's go ahead and get rid of him. But he's like thinking, okay, he's got to think, this is what I prayed four months ago, and now it's here. So he says, I was terrified, but he spoke up. You see... Notice what it says in verse 4. The king asked, well, how can I help you? God was answering Nehemiah's four-month prayer before his very eyes in a very unlikely way. Do you pray for God to give you a passion for his people to the point of saying this, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. You are going to have to make a way. I pray that prayer all the time. I'm like, God, I cannot do this. If it's going to happen, it's going to be by your hand and for your glory. Have your fears moved you to only pray for what you want and what you want Him to do for others you care for? But have you really given your prayer over to do whatever He wants to do with whoever He wants to do through you? There's a big difference in that prayer. So don't pray fearful prayers for things you can reason with in your own mind. I'm telling you what, if you're praying for God to work in something you can probably figure out for yourself, that ain't much of a prayer. Because most of the prayers God wants you to pray is the things that you cannot understand, the things that you are powerless to do, and the things that only He can do. That's why we pray to Him. The third thing we see in verses 4 through 8. Nehemiah prayed for this opportunity, and he planned for it. He prayed for this opportunity, and he planned for it. Check this out. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. So again, he held his breath, he said a quick prayer, and then he says, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, Your servant sent me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Boom! There it is. There's no turning back from this now. He has laid it out there. He has done what he has prayed that he would do, and he has laid it out. And so now, whatever happens is is up to God. Again, it could have gone many ways. When it says in verse 4, with a prayer to the God of heaven, it's one of the most beautiful examples of a spontaneous prayer in the whole world. Now, I'm sure somebody will pray before they go into a job interview. Somebody will pray before they have a difficult conversation with somebody. Someone will pray before a test. But here we go. God has answered. It's time for him to step up. He says a prayer, and then he goes with it. 
He may have been standing in front of an earthly king. But my friends, he was doing the work of the king of kings. And if you are doing the work of the king of kings, then there is nobody that can stop you. And you will notice that Nehemiah's dependence upon prayer before he speaks. You and I can learn a lot about that. Instead of speaking and then praying about what we said, it's praying first before we say it. I'm guilty of that. You're guilty of that, of speaking before you're thinking and praying. And there are times where I just, I think of something like, boy, I'm going to get them with this. And then all of a sudden God says, hold on, partner. Don't do that. A lot of wisdom in that. The king, in verse 6, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? Will we return? Okay. Right there. Here we have a problem. If all you had was a passion to go rescue the people, but you had no plan, that would be revealed right here. If all you did is had a passion, this is what I want to do but it didn't motivate you to make a plan to do it, then all it was was just emotion, hype, spin. Nehemiah had been planning, at least putting some thought into this, and I will say, this is not a situation where Nehemiah said, this is how I'm going to do it now, God bless you, you bless it. He was, God, God was not rubber stamping Nehemiah's plans, but Nehemiah said, these are some steps that I can take. And again, he was the cupbearer, so he had, he knew political and military and, and governmental things that he needed to consider. So I guess all I'm trying to say is, is if God has given you the passion to do something, you will do enough to at least put some thought into it. And this is what Nehemiah says. After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress and the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests. And notice what he says. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. Nehemiah didn't say these things were granted because King Artaxerxes was just a great guy. He said these things were granted because... God is so great. So basically, look at this, folks. Nehemiah, the most important person under the king, just said, I want a leave of absence. And by the way, I would love to have some credentials that when people try to mess with us, then we can, I can show them that I've got your stamp of approval. And by the way, I need a bunch of gift cards to Lowe's because I need to get the lumber and all the stuff that we need to make all this stuff. So he has just laid out the plan for the king. He says, I'm going to need time off. I'm going to need people. I'm going to need, I'm going to need certifications and I'm going to need lumber to go help a people that Artaxerxes really didn't need to worry about. 
makes me wonder, why did King Artaxerxes even want to help these people? And I would say he didn't want to help the people. He wanted to help Nehemiah because he saw Nehemiah's passion. What do you think would have happened is if the king was said, so what can I do for you? Nehemiah goes, uh, huh? I hadn't thought about that. I just wanted to do it. How far do you think that would have gotten? Passion is given purpose through planning. Passion is given purpose through planning. The king knew this was a passion for Nehemiah because he had planned for it. He didn't put the plans before God, but he just said, I need to have my ducks in a row so when God answers, I can at least have a good start. And so, my friends, if God has given you a passion to serve him, are you planning for it? Like the good old children's song, hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. But the truth of the matter is, so many people that serve the Lord today and are in churches today are not passionate. They are passionless because they are doing a religion of what they've always done and not truly living in a dynamic, breathing, give-and-take relationship with the Lord. It is just another Sunday in the same pew beside the same people with the same fake smiles, and we come back and we'll do it again next week. Because that's what we do. No passion. No desire. No, no wanting to do something for the Lord just to be entertained. Nehemiah was depending on and trusting God to help him. Nehemiah did not give credit or the, to the great plan that he came up with. He didn't even give credit to the king. He gave credit to where it was due. God and God alone. Because God did something that was totally unlikely and totally unexpected. Let me ask you, are you willing to admit that despite your best ideas and your valiant attempts at following your passion to serve God, are you willing to acknowledge that without God's strength, everything will be in vain? God is the one who gave you specific spiritual gifts unique to you, and he will not know better than anyone how you should use them. We're going to be talking a lot about spiritual gifts in the future. We're going to be talking a lot about the future of our church. We're going to talk a lot about rebuilding the walls around us and retooling this church for another 15, 20 years. We're going to talk about what's next for Homeland Park Baptist Church. And it's not going to be the preacher giving you five steps that's going to happen in five years. It's going to be you seeking the Lord for what God wants you to do with your giftedness. And to be a part of this. Because this community is not going anywhere. And God has blessed us. We saw during the school supplies, which, by the way, the donations of that were really low. I'm just going to say that. We had to turn away kids that did not get backpacks. We had to do a lottery of tickets for kids to get backpacks. There were families, it started at 5, they were lined outside in the heat in the FLC at 4 o'clock. But yet, we gave all we had and it was gone in 20 minutes. A few people went out and got some more things. And I don't say that, I'm not saying that as a guilt trip. That's not why I'm saying that. But I wanted to be real with you and let you know what happened. We hadn't done that since 2020. So the fact that we were even doing it was amazing. 
But folks, this community out here, there will be churches just like ours today that will talk about how we have to be in it and we have to do it and we have to reach our community, but, but don't. Out of all the, I'm sure that there were other churches that were doing things for back to school. From what I understand from the people that came, they, there was nowhere else they could go in Homeland Park to get those school supplies. And these were not parents that were just trying to save a buck. These were kids and families of all different colors that truly needed this. And I am so happy that our church That was a privilege that we had to give that. So if we take that from school supplies to yesterday, having a sanctuary full of people with the WMU thing, as we hosted that for the association, folks, Holman Park Church is not going anywhere by God's grace. But if we're going to go into that next step, it's going to take people like Nehemiah that have a passion for this, this community to go out and reach it. And there will all, when you do that, there will always be opposition when you follow God's passion. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, When I came to the governors of the province of west of the Euphrates, I delivered the king's letter to them. The king, I should add, has sent along army, officers, and horsemen to protect me. So not only did the king give him the time off, not only did the king give him the credentials, not only did the king give him the supplies, he gave him the men and horses to accomplish it. Can you imagine being the Persian army soldier that thought, why in the world am I leaving my house to go rebuild walls in this city that is so far away? A, the king told them to, and B, they were following the passion that Nehemiah had. They could have thought he was a nut. The king could have said, look, I, I, I sympathize with you, Nehemiah, but this is not our, we don't have a dog in this fight. But no, they believed in the passion, but most of all, it wasn't the passion of Nehemiah, it was the prompting of God to do it. Do you think God could do something that we have never seen before at Homeland Park Baptist Church? I pray that he will. So he provided all these things. Now let's go into Sunday school mode just for a second. I'm going to show a map on the screen. We love maps and sermons, don't we? But basically, you will see the journey, the, 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 the solid line shows how they went from Babylon to Jerusalem. That was a long trip. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to hop in the car and run down to Atlanta and help them out a little bit. That was not what this looks like. That is the terrain that they went through to get to Jerusalem. And now, Nehemiah traveled 800 miles. Can you imagine traveling 800 miles? And a car would be terrible enough. 800 miles on an animal or 800 miles walking. They all walked together. They all journeyed together. And after Nehemiah and his caravan crossed the Euphrates River, now they had to start dealing with governors of those provinces that weren't, didn't take too kindly to these folks coming through their districts. 
Folks, prayer, planning, and asking are fine. But at the end of the day, you have to put in the work to accomplish your passion. At some point, Nehemiah had to take his first step out of Babylon towards Judah. And at some point, you, with the passion that God gives you, are going to have to take a step out of your comfort zone to find what that is that God has for you, has for us, has for the church, has for the community, has for the world. And then verse 10 says, and here it goes, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So here we have these governors that have the people of Israel under their thumb. The walls are torn down, and if they need anything, they come to these two guys as governors. And so now, all of a sudden, these this, these newfangled people are coming into town with this plan. They 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 look out and they see they got caravans. They don't have trucks back then, but for lack of a better term, truckloads, semis full of goods, buses full of people ready to work and rebuild. And they're thinking, oh, this is great. We can finally have a, a great place. No, they're thinking, we don't like this. Because if they rebuild these walls, they're not going to need us anymore. So they are attacking this idea because they are going to lose power, they are going to lose prominence, and they are not going to be able to have it their way like Burger King. Sambalet and Tobiah were threatened by Nehemiah's work. Again, Nehemiah was the king's personal advisor and cupbearer. This was a high-ranking dude that was coming into their town. Samuel was governor of Samaria. Tobiah was probably the governor of Transjordan under the king Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah was coming into their territories with legitimate papers from the king saying, do what I've called him to do and whatever he says goes. Nehemiah, attempting to rebuild the walls of the city and restore Jerusalem, was the third time someone had attempted to rebuild these walls. So I am sure Samblin and Tobiah are thinking, ha, 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 they've, done it, they've tried it before, but they won't do it again. It's like one of my friends in seminary said he was pastoring the church, and the church member told him, Preacher, we've had preachers like you come and go. You can do what you want, but if we don't like it, we'll just get another one. That's terrible that people would say that. But it happens. Praise God, I hadn't heard it here yet. But that's the mentality that they had. They're like, look, come on, boy. Go ahead and try to do what you want to do. But two others have tried and they failed, and we'll knock you down a notch too, is what they were thinking. And we see in the, in the whole book how they're always trying to do that. Sanibalin and Tobiah were worried because the exiles returning to Jerusalem would mean they would have less control over the people. It would be like the day of a politician losing their base, losing an election. And they did not want to do that. But when someone doesn't want certain people in the church, they are in opposition to what God is doing. If you and I ever say, we love having our time together, but we want those people or those kind in our church, we might as well lock the doors, sell it to somebody that will do it i got news for you. If we're going to reach Homeland Park, we're going to get Homeland Park in here. And that's the way it should be. No matter how powerful these two thought they were, God was at work. Progress threatens those with power, folks. 
Notice that when the opposition came, it didn't come when Nehemiah had it in his heart to do something. Opposition didn't come when he approached the king. Opposition didn't come when he got all of the supplies and the people together and started working. The opposition came when they started to see some progress. Woo! Baptists hate progress. You know what another word of progress is? Change. One of the dying words of a church, we've never done it that way before. And so I'm telling you, when we see progress, there will be people that do not like that. Prepare for it. They may be within our church. They may be outside of the church. I don't know. But do not fear opposition. Let me tell you something, folks. <laughs> and I had to learn this the hard way. I, I've probably told you this story before, but, um, well, I can't say. I'll just say there was somebody that thought they could do youth ministry better than I was doing at the time. And gave me a long list of the things I was doing wrong. And you know what I thought as I was listening to that person talk to me for an hour? God, show me the truth in this and help me chunk the rest of it. But you know what happened after that meeting? It galvanized and solidified what I was doing. I knew more after that meeting what I was doing right than what they thought I was doing wrong. So my friend, when opposition comes to you at your work, when opposition comes to you through a family member, when opposition comes to you through circumstances, understand that you are only experiencing opposition because you are making progress. Praise the Lord for that. People would much rather sit back and throw rocks than carry them. And... We see that time and time again in Nehemiah. So as we wrap up our time this morning, why do people oppose seeking to follow God's passion in their life? Because God's working in their life and it threatens those who are not. It threatens those who are not having God work in their lives. Next week, Nehemiah, we're going to see, we'll discover his biggest problem was not the enemy on the outside, but the compromises on the inside. And we'll talk about that more this next week. But as we end our time today, there's a lot to unpack in Nehemiah. There's a lot to unpack for you. And my, my, my prayer is that if God is stirring in your heart and God is giving you things to uh, think about, then let's talk about it. Let's pray about it because I want you to know you have passion. Passion is good, but passion will move your heart to feel. But taking action will engage your will. We can pray about it till our faces are blue. But if God gives us the next step, we have to take it. If God gives you the next step. We have to take it. And my prayer is, is that as we are going to see God do some amazing things through you, the church. Not so that we can say that Homeland Park is great. Homeland Park Baptist Church. Yeah, all our friends are coming to Homeland Park Baptist Church. No. I'm telling you, Homeland Park Baptist Church is never going to be the cool church in town. That's fine. We're not going to be the cool kids. We don't get the big lunch table. 
but we're going to serve God. And to see people serving God, not out of an obligation or a position or because the pastor asked them to, but because they are passionate about what they are doing, it will revitalize you as a member and it will revitalize this church. You realize you're not here by accident. God has called you to this church for a reason. And I pray that by his mercy and grace, you find out what that is. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this evening tonight or this this morning, Lord. And Lord, whether people are here in the sanctuary or they're watching by way of video, uh, the invitation today is this, that if God has given you a passion, make it known. Share it with somebody. Pray about it and ask God to move in unlikely ways so that when he does, you will be faithful and bold enough to take that step. We learn a lot from Nehemiah, Lord, and the end result is glorious, Lord. So, Lord, thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you for your word.